when I left for vacation in early July, I was really looking forward to coming back and preparing for a normal fall. And then something called Delta happened. And now all of us are wondering what in the world is going to happen. Everyone is. I am one of the reasons I was looking forward to this normal fall is because I'm so grateful and excited about the things God has put before us as a church, the way he's poured out blessings on this body of Christ. Travis's ordination as a, a deacon was this powerful time of worship together in this momentous event. Andrew serving with us is a huge blessing for our church and he's preparing for ordination. Renee Velker has come on to help with children. This is wonderful and now Kelly can do three or four things instead of five or six things in her job. And I'm grateful for the way that we experience family in this body. I'm really excited that we get to shape a home together in the coming years. So I've been looking forward to a normal fall where we can build in these things. And I know that everyone has been looking forward to something closer to normal in every area of life. I think especially of teachers and students who are soon going to start school and are wondering what are things going to look like from day to day. It's going to be this changing juggling act all the time. Business owners have to spend this inordinate amount of time thinking about what things look like in their work. I remember last fall, Tim Holtz was describing how hard it was doing his job as a manager at Hobby Lobby, trying to honor the people who were above him and deal with the customers who were on every end of the spectrum related to mask wearing. So Tim was accused of all sorts of things, even contradictory things by people coming into his store. I assure you, I think we all know this. No one was thinking about situations like we've been living in when they signed on to their job. No one. Everyone is anxious, ready for things to be normal, but it, it's hard to tell where things are going. It, maybe it's not hard to tell where things are going. And, and I know the media, no doubt, is masterful at drumming up anxiety. But that aside... It's unavoidable we're going to have to deal with some on ongoing challenges. Some of us in our workplaces, but all of us, are going to have to keep facing the challenge of how we deal with each other. How we handle different ways of seeing things. How we deal with family members. How we deal with ourselves. And day-to-day -day life. And how we come to the table, how we show up in these conversations is just as important probably more important than what, we, than what we say when we get there. And it's for that reason I want to hold before us Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6 on anxiety or worry. If you're a Christian, it's easy to underestimate these words because they're so simple and so familiar. But I do want to remind you that Proverbs said, let the simple come in here. <laughs> let them listen. And what's happening here is that Proverbs is Solomon, the, the man of wisdom in his day. And here in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is standing and he's teaching and he, is set, and he is presenting himself as the true Solomon, the true person of wisdom. 
And in, in the book of Colossians, weaving these passages together that were read, Paul said, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not be deluded by plausible arguments, but it is in Christ where all the riches of wisdom are to be found. So in every situation in life, whether it feels complex or very simple, Christ in some way holds the key to who we are to be, what we're to say. Now, if you're anything like me, it's easier to take other commands of the Bible more seriously. Ones like don't steal, don't kill, or don't commit adultery. Because those are the ones that can make you look bad before others. I can worry and be anxious and still look fairly decent on the outside when I show up. But Jesus was serious about this one too. Don't worry about your life. Do not be anxious for tomorrow. And beyond him just being serious, Jesus actually came so that you may have life and have it to the full. And it's difficult to have a full life when you are consumed with worries and anxieties. Now, if you're not a Christian, I want to invite you, and even more than me, I think Jesus wants to invite you into a way of seeing the world in which you are free from the need to fret about tomorrow. Now, the first thing we need to ask is, what are we actually talking about when we speak of anxiety or worry? What is Jesus talking about? Is he talking about a medical condition or something else? Now, I think a lot of the conversations being had right now in our broader world, conversations had over the past year have been filled with anxiety. Anxiety in completely different forms. It's crazy how different it can look. Some are worried about becoming ill and the prospect of their death or the death of a loved one. Others are anxious over the threat of losing their freedoms. These are completely opposite ways of thinking about anxiety. And does calling these things anxieties mean they are a fear over nothing? No. <laughs> Whether the thing that we are concerned about is real or not isn't actually the point. The point is bigger than whether it's real or not. When Jesus talks about anxiety, he's not just talking about a feeling or an emotion that some people experience. It, it is that, but it is also the, the actual organizing principle of a world. It is a regime, a master, and a power that holds sway over our world. Anxiety is the ether of the world outside the kingdom of God. It arises because we want to control and secure our future. We want to know that everything is safe. And we can't. If you know that you can't manage the future, yet you still try to manage the future, there can only be one result. Anxiety. Whether it's your portfolio, or it's yourself, or the people around you, if you know you can't manage it and you still try, there's only one thing that can happen to you. Anxiety. So the issue in anxiety, again, is not whether our concerns are real. The prospect of our death or the death of loved ones. The prospect of losing something that we hold dear. 
These may be real or they may not be, but the deeper issue in anxiety is what the creator has called us to do about these concerns. Can we control outcomes? Should we try? Immediately prior to bringing up this topic of anxiety, Jesus has spoken about the problem of trying to serve two bosses at the same time. Imagine it, your job, that you have two bosses, and they tell you in two entirely different ways of doing your job. It's not going to be long before that comes to a head, and you're going to have to decide which boss you're going to listen to, right? And Jesus says the same thing is true about your whole life. You can't listen to two bosses. And then he says, therefore, do not be anxious about your life. How are these two issues related? Anxiety and trying to serve two bosses at the same time. Jesus is unmasking our pursuit of anything besides God as a deeper issue of anxiety within our soul. So take money as an example. This is the one Jesus uses first. You cannot serve God in money. Some people live with the assumption that I alone will provide for my needs. That it's a bleak landscape in the world and I'm the only one who can take care of me. And so they work and work. And that creates anxiety. It's up to me. Others seek to serve their self-image. I have to protect myself in the ways that people see me. Others seek to serve their children. It's my job alone to take care of my children. I know God is there, but I'm the one who has to take care of them. Or maybe it's social causes. There's injustice in the world, and I am the one. It's on my shoulders. I have to solve it. And what's happening in all these things is that even the most wonderful things are tainted when we make them our master, when we seek to make them equal with God. So what are we to do? Jesus invites people into a new world. He announces the kingdom, which in essence means God's future. He comes announcing that the future is arriving. God intends to rule over all things, and he is beginning to rule over all things now. God intends to set Jesus on the throne of the whole cosmos, and he's beginning to do that right now. He's going to defeat evil and put his world back together, and he's beginning to do that now. The future is arriving, Jesus says, and the future is secure in God's hands. The kingdom, which is God's future world, arriving now in the present, is not driven by anxiety, but it's driven by trust. Because within this kingdom, we know that the future is secure. It's firm. We don't have to hold it in our own hands. We don't have to grasp it for ourselves. We know that God has everything under control. We know that God is our heavenly father who will care for us. There's an important play on words here that doesn't come out in our English Bibles. Jesus says, do not worry or do not be anxious about your life. 
And then he goes on to list our most basic physical needs, eating, drinking, clothing. He could have listed more. Jesus is saying these are the things that make up your life. He could have listed housing as well, but he's just, he's summing it up. But the word for life that Jesus uses is the same word for soul. It can mean either soul or life, depending on the context. And Jesus actually goes, out to, goes on to bring this out himself. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus is saying there are many more important things about your life and your well-being that you will never alone be able to attend to. Even if you are able to feed yourself, you think, and clothe yourself, there are other things about what makes you a human being that you cannot attend to on your own. He's also, in effect, saying we betray ourselves and we betray what God wishes to make of us when we become the slaves of our lowest needs. Did you hear what Jesus says? Is not life more than food or more than clothing? If you've provided for yourself food or clothing, you haven't even tasted of the richest things that God wants to provide for you. So again, what are we to do? There was this comedy sketch several years ago that our family loves to laugh about. Bob Newhart, a comedian, played a counselor. And a lady walks into his office and begins sharing all her fears and her anxieties. And she wants him to speak into these and to help her. And so she shares these and Bob Newhart asks her after a minute if she's ready to hear his advice. And so she takes out her pen and paper and he says, you're not going to need that. Are you ready? And then he starts shouting, stop it. Why would you do this to yourself? Just stop it. And he does it over and over again and gets louder. Stop it. Stop doing that. Sometimes I think that's what we do to each other. (laughs) That's not what Jesus does here. That's not how he tells us not to worry. Yes, he does tell us, don't worry about your life. But then he tells us what to do in in place of that. He invites us to live differently, to live on the receiving end of his goodness, of his generosity. The passage is like a walk through the Garden of Eden by the side of our beautiful creator. A healing stroll that's intended to open our eyes and cure the restlessness in our hearts. By meditation on all that he's created. How it's sustained. Turn your eyes away from yourselves and look at the things around you, God seems to say to us. Jesus, in a way, takes us by the hand and tells us to do three simple things. One is look. Two is consider or pay attention to. And three is seek. Look at the birds of the air, he says. Literally, look at them. Be still long enough to watch them and meditate on them. Look is take it in. What do they mean? The creation is broken, but it's still God's creation, and he wishes to teach us through it. He is redeeming all things through his son, Jesus Christ, and he wants to teach us through what he's made. 
As you watch the birds and wonder at how they fly effortlessly and they seem to play in the air. Remember that you are much more significant to God than those birds. Jesus speaks later of how not a sparrow falls to the ground without him knowing it. And then he says, the very hairs of your head are numbered. You are much more significant than the birds. What if you were to look and take that in? Consider the flowers, Jesus says. Watch how day after day a new bud slowly unfolds with a delicate majesty about it. What if everyone in the United States, uh, Democrats and Republicans, were to walk and look at flowers together? (laughs) And watch how they unfold. God wants to make you more lovely than a flower. He wants to clothe you with his own purity, his own radiance. He gave himself for you for this exact reason. That his blood might cover your sins and that he might assure you that if he's going to give himself for you, he will give you everything else along the way. Right now, you are able to receive his splendor into yourself. He wants to make you more lovely and beautiful than the most radiant of flowers. Look, consider, and seek. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you, he says. Those things that you are most anxious about in your life and in the broader world, maybe matters of life and death, it might be, matters of justice and freedom, The issue, again, is not whether these concerns are real or valid. They probably are. The issue is that the only place that you will find them finally dealt with is in Him and in His kingdom. Seek them as much as you want and as fervently as you want, as passionately. Give your life for just those causes. But the only place you will finally find them fulfilled is in Him. The one who makes all things new. The one who gave his life. If you have to forfeit the kingdom of God in order to pursue something. If you have to turn your orientation away from God in some way. Even just a little bit. Whatever you gain in that pursuit in the end will be a loss to your life. But if you pursue God and his kingdom. You will never count your losses. (laughs) You will see only additions to your life in that path. Did you hear what Jesus says? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his justice, and all these things will be added to you. It's not as if Jesus doesn't think you need those things. It's that where you find them added to your life is when you are seeking him and his kingdom. To become the slave of God and his kingdom in the end results in a life that is as effortless, glorious, and beautiful as that of birds, flowers, and the grass. So do not be anxious about your life, Jesus says. And now I'll ask, how are you doing this in your life? How are you doing with it? Are you pursuing God and his kingdom with everything you have? All of these, 
Do you find that there's this congruence in your life where work and family and all of these things find themselves fulfilled in pursuing God and His kingdom? Or are you trying to straddle these paths where you're pursuing work and life and family and then God is there on the side as a separate path? If you're holding out on God, if you're trying to live on two paths at the same time, remember what Jesus says. You, you can't get away with that. You cannot serve two masters. You will find that eventually you will love one and you will hate the other. You cannot serve two masters. But if you trust God to provide for your entire well-being, He will do that. And perhaps He will even provide some of the amenities that you have feared missing out on along the way. If you're a Christian... Here's what this passage does for your life. Jesus invites you to go further up and further into his kingdom. To give him glory through a life where self-abandonment takes the place of anxiety. I'm no longer going to fear whether I'm going to have enough. What my self-image is. Or whether everything is going to be done perfectly. I'm going to lose myself in the kingdom of God and in him. Because I know that he will provide for me. He invites you to live a life in which He provides and you receive. A life in which He is finally allowed to be fully God in your life. If you're not a Christian, Jesus invites you into the life of His kingdom. And it is a good kingdom. He gave His life to free you from slavery to this world and to its anxieties. And you are welcome to enter into his kingdom. Jesus, the one who has pierced hands and pierced feet and a cut on his side as he gave his life for your sins and for the slavery that you experience, he's standing there healed, redeemed, resurrected from the dead. And he is welcoming you to take the leap of faith and to come into his kingdom. So if you'd like to come in, come. If you're a Christian, keep coming. I'm going to pray. If you're not a Christian and would like to come in, you can use this prayer as a way of entering into the kingdom of Jesus. It also, if you'd like to just talk to someone after the service, please come find me or another Christian friend. If you're a Christian... I'd invite you to, to think about whether there are ways in which your hands are closed to God and you have un, been unwilling to let Him be the one who provides everything for you. And if there are ways in which you're doing that, I'd ask you to use the, the rest of some of the service later. There's going to be a time where we confess our sins. Use that to open your hands Confess your sins and ask God to help you come further into his kingdom. Let's pray. God, all of us have been slaves to this world. And we want to be fully free to serve you. To live in self-abandonment and without anxiety. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your life, death, and resurrection that sets us free. Thank you for being the one in whom all wisdom and treasures are found. And thank you for welcoming us into your kingdom where you provide for our life now and in the life to come. In the name of Christ, amen.